Bowden. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm all right. Good. Thanks for being here today. Yeah. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. So my name is Bowden. Um, I'm 18 and I guess I'm here to share my story. You're 18 and you are in recovery. Correct. Could you tell us about the first time you tried alcohol, marijuana, or another substance? Yeah, so it was about freshman year of high school. I don't remember the exact age I was. And I had an option to try it before that that point. Um, I decided not to for, you know, reasons I didn't want to get in trouble, right? It's yeah. kind of funny, right? <laughs> Ironic. Um, so I decided not to, and then I had another option, and I thought about it quite a bit. I was like, well, I really, I really want to try this, you know. Um, at a party, I think it was a two or three weeks after that first event. Um, and I went there with the intent of getting high and getting drunk. And I mean, that's what I did. You know, I went there, I partied and I had fun. Yeah. And that's when it starts. That first time you used it, was that a party setting or was that more of like a small gathering, just a couple of friends, more low key kind of situation? Um, I would say it's kind of a mix, a mix. of the two. Right. So, I mean, a lot of the people that, that were there, I knew personally, they were my friends and it was also kind of a party, you know, like there were people there that I didn't know or I was, you know, just, they were there for the same thing I was. Sure. And when did it kind of shift from casually or socially using with friends to a more personal relationship? Um, I think that was almost instantaneous. Really? Yeah. For me, it was the first time I tried it, it was like, I want more, like right away, you know, that was like, you know, the next morning I was like, wow, I want to do that again, you know, and it wasn't about the friends anymore at all, like, I mean, I'm not a very extroverted kind of guy, um, I can keep to myself, doesn't really bother me, so when I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, I can use this by myself, and like, that seems, you know, great for me. And that was alcohol, marijuana? Um, yeah, it started with marijuana. Started with marijuana. Okay. Yeah, and it gradually progressed. I tried some other stuff. Um, eventually, I got more into drinking, and that was really what became a problem for me. More of the drinking? Yes. Yeah. yeah. What did the path to recovery look like for you? Um, kind of like a slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it was really intense. It was, it's hard. It's more probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, yeah. without a doubt. Um, yeah, and it was just really, like, it just started very, very quickly, because I had no intention of quitting. I had no, no intention of stopping. But, you know, it got pretty much forced upon me. You say you have no intention of, of stopping or quitting or anything like that. Do you yeah. feel like in that time, so your first time that you really started using was freshman year? Mm-hmm. And between then and when did you first kind of enter treatment or get, as you put it, forced into treatment? Um, so that was about around the end of 2019. Around the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. So how many years would that be? So it'd be about two, two years. Two mm -hmm. years. And in that two years, do you, were you feeling like this was hindering or harming your life? Were that you feeling or seeing any negative or potentially negative consequences or you felt like this is just the life I want to live and things are great? Um, I, I knew it was messing me up in the long run. I had no doubts about that. I had no delusions of this was good for me or that this wasn't addictive because I knew it was. And I'm not going to lie to myself about that like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. so I never really had to get over that hurdle of 
yeah, I'm actually screwing myself here because I, I knew straight away. Um, it wasn't when I, it wasn't what I wanted. Uh, I knew it wasn't what I needed, obviously, but that didn't stop me because it felt good. You yeah. know, it was a break from like the constant struggle and pain of the real world for me. Yeah. Are you able to name or, or kind of put words to what some of that constant struggle and pain was? Um, and if you're not comfortable, we can just skip this part and go on to a different question, but no, no, it's all right. Um, yeah, so I've been diagnosed with major depression since I was, God, I must've been around six. Okay. So for a majority of my life, I mean, I've noticed it, you know, not like the other kids, you know, you probably hear that a lot from people who are diagnosed with something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've just always never had an optimistic outlook on life. I've never had fun or been relaxed or felt good for a majority of my childhood. And so when I, I found drugs and alcohol, it's, you know, it's fake, but it's better than, you know, suffering constantly. Yeah. yeah. And we hear that a lot. You know, it's, it's interesting because when you look at um, substance use, about drinking alcohol, smoking pot, all of that stuff, in the case of adults, people kind of look at it in two ways of either they do it to have fun or they do it to feel less bad. And typically prevention programming and when you talk about substance use prevention with kids, with teenagers, it's they're curious, they want to have fun, they want to go out and party, and nobody really talks about it from the lens of they just want to feel less bad. Um, But, I mean, you're a real person with a real story who's sitting here telling us it was just that for you in your teenage years. Yeah. You had also mentioned that you know, there had been a time or two before you initially tried marijuana or alcohol for the first time where you had said no or you passed up the offer. What do you think was preventing you from doing it? And what do you think was the shift to a willingness to try it? Um, I don't know. It hadn't been offered to me until kind of like later, you know, like after middle school, until high school when a lot of people had already tried it, you know, and that's the kind of people that I was hanging out with. Um, I was never really against it. I think the one time that it was offered to me and I said no, it was because my dad was going to pick me up from this dude's house in like 15 minutes. I didn't want to reek like weed, you know. Yeah. Um, Obviously, after I did it a few times, I didn't really care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that willingness to risk the lecture from the parents dwindles with each time. Yeah. So it's about two, two and a half years where you were using pretty regularly, sometimes with others, sometimes on your own, it was starting to become an issue. And then you had mentioned that you were kind of forced into treatment. Was that intervention with your parents, teachers, friends? Um, so it was my parents. I got sent to a wilderness treatment program. Okay. And of the kids I've talked to throughout that whole process, there's maybe uh, two ways of doing that, or I should say three. Um, two of the three involve lies and deceit, <laughs> and the other one is very difficult to do. So, I mean, you either get your kid to voluntarily go out into the woods, give up all their worldly possessions, and live out in the woods under a tarp for months. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can try, but it's probably not going to work. So what my parents did was they had this thing called a transport company. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of these, but it's essentially um, likened to just legal kidnapping, right? Okay. 
So I wake up one day and there's two huge guys in my room, you know, and of course there's panic. Like, what, what is this? Yeah. Like, what, what am I waking up to <laughs> here? Like, who are these people? Um, my parents are like crying, telling me they love me. And they're like, come on, man, we're going to go. And I'm like, shit. Okay. I guess. Um, yeah. So I, when I say force, it was literally physically forced. I mean, these guys told me like, listen, man, like we don't want to fight you, but like, if you're going to put up a struggle, like we'll put you in handcuffs and we'll put you in the car. Like wow. you don't have a choice. So, I mean, I went willingly, like, I'm not going to fight these guys. They're massive, you know, <laughs> there's no way. So, yeah. And then they take you, in my case, I went out to Utah. Um, they take you on a plane, take you through an airport, all this stuff. And, I mean, because I cooperated, they, you know, it wasn't that bad. Bought me food. They were nice, but it's still a shock to the system, you know. Still have trauma from that. Um, yeah, it's pretty intense. And then, I mean, like... I said, then there's three ways, right? And those are the two. And then the third way is um, people will go on vacations with their kids. Okay. And then, like, yeah, we're going to go to Utah and, like, go see these national parks. And, you know, next thing you know, you're in a house in Huntington, Utah, and you're about to get taken into the desert. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. This hasn't gone well. So, yeah. And, I mean, I've heard all sorts of – it's mainly the, the latter two. The latter you know? two. Yeah. Yeah. It's – what was that experience like? You said it was a wilderness program and you yeah. kind of live under a tarp in the in Utah for mm. months. What was that experience like or what did you learn from that? Um, man, that's a... Loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's... It's crazy. I don't even know how to describe it because I'm so used to, you know, being in society and being yeah. connected through the internet and having comfort and, like, a bed and air conditioning and, like, clean clothes. And when you get sent out there, that's something that is, you, you kind of take a step back and you look at, I'm only given what I need to live. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no extra comforts other than my, like, sleeping bag, you know? Yeah. Which keeps me warm at night because it has to, otherwise I will die. Because, I mean, it's that cold out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're out there for months, but it's not, it's not torture, right? You get used to it pretty quick. Um, I mean, some of the friends that I met out there, I'm, they're going to be my friends my entire life. You learn a lot about yourself, a lot about other people, and, like, what it means to truly, like, suffer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, physically, like, when you wake up and you're cold and you're wet, and it doesn't stop for weeks, you know? Like, there's no sanctity of going inside and drying off. Like, that's not a thing that happens. And there's snow, and you have to make a fire yourself. Um, but, yeah, so you learn a lot about yourself and learn what you're actually able to accomplish by just sitting through the shit. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you found strength within yourself you didn't know you had? I definitely think so. I mean, I never thought I, I would do it, you know. Like, that first night out there, I was like, there's no way, you know. Like, I, I'm going to die out here. Like, it's obviously you're not going to because you're taken care of, you know, and if you really have a serious medical condition, they'll ship you out to a hospital. But if it's non-life-threatening, then you're probably going to stay out there. So you have to, like, build up a callus in your mind of just dealing with this stuff over and over and over and not having any escape. And I think that's really important for the per first um, part of treatment for a lot of people. Because if you're not willing or you don't think that you're able to get sober or to recover from an addiction, you need that, I don't know, like, 
like I said, the slap to the face. Just be like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Um, yeah, it really wakes you up, and it really puts you in a place to only go up from, I guess. Sure. So you said that you, you know, at the time, you woke up to these two men in your bedroom who were putting you on a plane and taking you off to Utah for this wilderness treatment program. At that time, you had no intentions or ideas or thoughts of stopping. Was there a shift or can you think back to a moment or a time when you kind of went from, I have no intentions of stopping and quitting to like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'll be in a better place for it. Um, I don't think that moment came to me from wilderness. Okay. Um, so afterwards I went to another program in Arizona. They're called uh, therapeutic boarding schools. Okay. And those programs were usually much longer term. I was there for 13 months. Okay. Um, and I think it was there that I really, I don't know, it, it kind of hit me like I, I need to do something different here because I kept making mistakes. I kept getting in trouble and I kept prolonging my stay in this place that I didn't want to be. And the only way to do that is to actually make a shift. So, yeah, I think it that's where it happened. But I don't remember any specific like moment. It just kind of happened. And you were there for 13 weeks, so or 19 weeks, you said, right? Where? At the the second program in Arizona. No, I was there for 13 months. Thir 13 months, yeah. sorry, <laughs> 13 months. Um, when did you come home? Um, I got home about three months ago. About three months ago. Well, welcome home. Thank you. And you have been in recovery for how long now? Um, if you include all that, I would say about... A year and a half. About a year and a half. Yeah. How does it feel? Good. 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 What are some of your biggest challenges that you deal with in trying to maintain your recovery as a young adult? Um, a big one for me is the loneliness that comes with it, right? Because I've, I had friends. I had a girlfriend. Um, I had all this stuff that I thought was very important to me. And then, you know, you get taken away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, when you come back, you find that, I, or at least I found that I changed a lot. Like, I'm a completely different person from when I left. And you come back to all these people who are doing the exact same thing. And it's it's it bores me, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to hang out with these people. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do whatever they're doing, you know. So I don't hang out with them. So it's like, it's really hard to find people my age that aren't partying and don't know how to have any other fun other than just getting messed up and doing stupid stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's what's going to be my next question is, is we know that there is a recovery community, right? We know that there's a lot of people in recovery. There's a strong recovery community in Oshkosh even. But when you think about age, I don't know a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are openly in recovery. And I was going to ask if it's difficult to find that community. It is. It is. Um, I haven't found anything in Oshkosh yet. Um, I'm still looking, but we'll see where that goes. Um, I haven't found anything in Wisconsin for that matter. I mean, I've gone to more meetings than I can count already. Um, and it's all pretty much the same. You know, it's, you go in there, it's, you know, AA meetings, so there's not a lot of NA. And it's a bunch of like middle-aged guys, you know, talking about their drinking problems that they had like 20 years ago. Yeah. So it's really hard to relate. Um, and there's the obviously that age gap, you know, and that complete difference of societal placement. If that makes sense. Yeah, more of a more of a parent child or like adult child 
kind of relationship than a peer-to-peer connection with shared experience. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully something will come in Oshkosh or a, or a place or, or more young people who are willing to speak up or, or just make the choice not to engage in drugs or alcohol. Um, and we can grow that community in Oshkosh. Okay. I want to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, of course, Breakwater, we're, we're focused on youth prevention of substance use. So I always ask this of all of our guests, um, especially those who are sharing their story. Growing up, did you have conversations with your parents about drugs and alcohol? Or do you remember any prevention messaging in middle school or high school? Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it. Obviously, my parents were like, don't do drugs, don't drink. Um, both of them have a history with alcoholism, so it was obviously scary for them. You know, yeah. like They don't want their kids to fall down that same path that they went down. They're both sober now and recovered, which is, I'm very grateful for, but you know, they understand what it, it's like to go through that, and they didn't want that for me. Um, however, that obviously you know, didn't work. Those talks are next to useless. Because it's one thing, you know, like in elementary school or middle school, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to say no to drugs. And then it's like, well, as you get older, it's more and more and more appealing. Even if people aren't offering it to you, it's just has this almost glorified feel about it, you know. Because a lot of people use it, like I said earlier, to mm-hmm. not feel bad. Yeah. And they don't, they don't say that, but I think everybody knows that that's kind of the end goal, is to escape reality. Yeah. Where do you think that glorified image or glorified perception or the feeling that this is the answer, this is the the key to the escape from reality comes from? Um, I don't know. I think it's all sorts of things, either their friends or people that they see using it. I think a big one is popular culture. I mean, you see all these famous wealthy people and they talk or sing about how they like to get high and, you know. Yeah go ridiculous speeds on the road. <laughs> I guess more keen to, to, to using drugs and alcohol. And um, they make it sound like it's great. Like there is no downside, you know. And I mean, when you're using it, that's how it seems. That's how it feels, you know. Like it feels really good and it doesn't feel like anything bad can happen, you know. But eventually, inevitably, it will. And it's hard to realize that without it actually happening. Yeah. So you had mentioned that the like the school programming or talks with your parents um, weren't impactful for you. Do you think there's anything or any program or anything out there or any way that we could make prevention efforts impactful for youth? Um, I don't know. I think it's it's a really difficult thing to do correctly. Um. I mean, the ones that we have now obviously don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because it's being presented that by people that haven't actually gone through the struggles and it's more scared straight than, listen, this is probably what's going to happen if you try this. Um, I found that one thing that worked really well when I was at that boarding school is that they had the staff that worked there um, have been through it, a lot of them. And they actually understand what it's like and they, they know where you're coming from when you're dealing with these issues and they can talk to you about it. But in order to do that before like a preemptive measure, I don't, I don't even know how you would go about doing that because it's hard to explain to somebody the consequences of their actions if they've never even committed those actions before. 
yeah, you don't have that same level of, of understanding. Right. Do you have any advice or words of support you'd like to share with other teenagers or young adults who might be thinking about trying something or kind of balancing on that line of social use, I'm out partying, I'm having fun, and the more disordered use? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, it's not hard to tell when you have a problem. I think everybody knows when they do have a problem. I think the first step, as you probably heard before, is admitting that you have a problem. Because if you don't realize that, like, wow, you know, I'm drinking or using alone all the time, and just because I do it a few times with my friends, that doesn't make it acceptable socially. And there, there's a difference. And I think people intuitively know that, but they have a hard time recognizing it. So, I mean, if you do use, I would recommend you know take a look at yourself and be like what am I doing this for like what is my goal to get out of this like do I hurt on the inside and I want it to stop or is it really just because I just want to go party with my friends because I guarantee you more often than not it's to stop feeling bad um in terms of just trying something or just giving it a shot I mean why not it's really you know you don't lose anything from it if you're just going to try to be sober, it's not going to destroy your life. You know, it's going to actually be better for you in the long run. Um, so, I mean, I'd recommend trying it, obviously. Um, I find that the hardest thing about becoming sober or recovering is the commitment to long term. Yeah. Because anybody can stop using for a week or a month. But once you started getting into, you know, half a year, year, year and a half, it's takes actual commitment and actual desire to stop using and I think that's where a lot of people struggle and the way to find that for me was I don't know I just got sick of not doing the right thing yeah. and just getting in trouble over and over and over again and eventually I was just like well this isn't working and this isn't what I wanted for myself I think that eventually changed my life I think I think you're right on there where you know I mean as someone who doesn't struggle with a substance use disorder, figuring out what I want when I feel like I know what I want out of life, I'm in a better place. So I can imagine that translates over where kind of knowing this is the goal I have in mind and these are the steps that I need to take to get there can be helpful in maintaining that commitment. Yeah. Are there any resources that you found in the area that were especially helpful for you? Um. Like I said earlier, Oshkosh isn't a great place for younger kids who are trying to get into recovery. Um, I mean, the best thing I, c I think I can recommend with what I know now and just being back for a couple of months is find people that actually want you to stay sober. Find the people that actually care and don't just hang out with you because you want to get messed up with them or because you can give them weed or get drunk. Because those aren't obviously are not the people that are going to support your recovery because there's nothing in it for them. But if you can find people that actually care about you and that will actually support you in your journey, essentially, I think that's probably the best thing that you're going to find around here. Excellent advice. Do you have any advice or thoughts to share with parents who have a child going through what you went through or even what you're currently going through if they're, they have a young adult child who is struggling to find their way to recovery? Um, I mean... It's hard because I, I, would, I can imagine as a parent with a child who's suffering from that, it feels like a loss of control. But 
one of the worst things you can do is actually crack down harder because if they're using drugs and alcohol, the, you know, the chance that they're actually going to listen to authority is slim to none. Um, just be wasting your breath. But I think what you can do is set boundaries. Um, so, you know, for example, what my parents said was they're like, yeah, no using in the house or if you use, we're just going to kick you out. Like that's just, you know, the fact of the matter. Sure. It's not like, hey, like we're going to crack down. We're going to search for your room. We're going to tell you you can or can't do this. It's an automatic set of consequences. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. So there's no surprises. There's no, well, you know, I didn't think this was going to happen or there's no accidents essentially. It's just the boundaries that you have to hold with your kid have to be firm. They have to be reasonable. And it's hard for some parents to do that because people who use obviously are very manipulative. You know, I, yeah. I know I was, I was very good at getting what I wanted. And once my parents were able to kind of crack down and be like, listen, we're not going to have it anymore. That almost takes all the power away from getting what you want. And I think eventually that it's, it's weird because it actually makes your kid suffer more. And you know, most parents don't want that, but what has to happen is they have to hit rock bottom before they can come back up. Yeah, so the setting those clear boundaries and expectations is something that's helped you. Yes. Yeah, And I can see where that would be difficult as a parent, because like you said, no parent wants to see their child suffer. Um, and it can be difficult to set boundaries and maintain those boundaries over time, but something that's effective for sure. Yep. Is there, why did, why was it important or why did you want to come and share your story today? Um, I don't know. I feel like I actually have something that I can contribute to people who are still suffering or who actually have a desire to get sober and they don't know how to do it or they're afraid of the process because it's, it's a scary thing. I mean, I've been there and I understand it's still, it still scares me. You know, it's, it's such a long and such a difficult journey that to embark on it in any form or fashion is a very difficult thing to do. So I guess I just wanted to share that there is hope. You know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it, it is possible. Well, I hope that if somebody is out there listening to this, a parent, a young adult, a teenager who's struggling, I hope they do find hope in this, and I hope that they take a step to reach out and ask for help or get connected with a resource. As always, 211 is out there. You can call or text 211 and get connected with resources in your area. Um, Bowden, thank you very much for being here and sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it, and I hope that it helps someone else out there. Yeah, so do I. Thanks for having me.